Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. I'm Scott Taylor, the data whisperer, and I'm delighted to be your host for this podcast series. I'm the principal consultant at MetaMeta Consulting. We help organizations tell their data story by reinforcing the strategic value of proper data management. In this podcast, I'll be joined by Philip Dutton, co-CEO and co-founder of Solidatus, and Wade Muncie, Global Chief Data Officer at GSK Consumer Healthcare. We're going to be discussing the realism of what goes on into making data an asset, data-led decision-making, and the purpose of the CDL. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Great, thanks. Excellent. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. Wade, why don't we just kick off with uh, you here. So nearly every company wants to transform through data. The fundamentals start with building a culture. So how does a company start that process and manage its data assets effectively? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, I look at you need to identify your purpose first before you try to identify the culture. They're closely linked, but without a purpose, you can't build a culture. And, And purpose is kind of why we do things. And if you can then start tying your data strategy to your purpose and your corporate strategy, you're going to be much better off. Um, Where I tend to start is linking back to those corporate objectives in detail, work out what the next three years look like, and then tying that back to those building blocks of a data strategy. So do I need to worry about governance? Do I need to set up BI functions? Do I need to set up a data science function? And all of those building blocks are really important. Yeah, it's important you get started with those straight away. Phil, anything you want to add to that? Ah, uh, yes, definitely. I think you know, as as Wade mentioned there, you know, there, there's a number of key elements to to how you actually effectively you know use data and and, and treat it as as an asset. I think one of the the things that we, we've seen that there's there there needs to be a fundamental shift in the way that we actually think about data. You know, one of the the statistics which is always kind of haunts me is, you know, Gartner estimated in 2019 that 60% of big data projects fail. And then actually one of their their analysts Nick Hoidecker in 2020 actually said Gartner was a little bit too conservative with that number. It's closer to 85%. So, you know, if you think about kind of 85% of projects which are looking to leverage data and to really establish that data function in an organization are failing, that really shows us that we've got some work to do in terms of, you know, the way that we think about this. And so we need to really reframe things in the same way that we're reframing how we consider, um, you know, our impact on the environment with, with ESG or how engineering changed, the, you know, the, the way that we construct, you know, complex structures. I think, you know, this is thinking about data as, as an asset, you know, as a real tangible thing as opposed to, you know, a cloud, something which is, you know, is, is intangible and doesn't have that, you know, that real impact. 85% of data projects fail. Really, what kind of stunning statistic is that, right? That's might as well round that up to 100. Um, it's crazy. And, and uh, wait, I love what you talked about in terms of purpose and intention. The idea of aligning what you're doing in data to the strategic intentions of your enterprise is something that I think some more junior data leaders don't really realize. They think about a data strategy rather than the data enabling the strategy of the company. So totally agree in terms of that kind of focus. Phil, when we think about the role of the CDO, what's your thought about how a business should approach the scope of a CDO? And talk to us a little bit about investment and governance of that role. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think as as we're all aware, you know, data is becoming much, much more of a you know a critical piece of the puzzle. It's always been there, but we really really didn't apply the right level of focus to us. And and the, and the CDO function really is is designed to do that. It's to bring that, you know, all of the disparate pieces together because we're not just talking about you know data on its own. It's data, it's process, it's policy, and and really when we think about when I certainly think about you know the investment and governance approach, I I kind of I always like to use analogies and so I think about it as you know as, as, a, as a house and really that data is that foundation that we need to build upon without a really strong data foundation then you know the fundamental foundation of your house is shaky it's it's likely to fail it's likely to be less valuable or, or less you know able to be built on top of into the future so it becomes so fundamental to all organization and it becomes that key differentiator to who is going to be successful? You know, what are you going to be able to do against a competitor? It gives you competitive advantage if you focus on on data, you know, in the right way. Wait, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the CDO roles evolved over time quite a lot, actually. And if I think back to when sort of CDOs started changing from be digital to data, um, it, there were much more technical roles in those days. And, and now we're seeing many more CDOs reporting into the CEO directly. And that's changing because of the focus that data has. And, you know, Phil, calling out the data as, a, as an asset, it's really important that the business understand why that asset is important. And even to the point of putting it onto the books, um, which some companies are doing now, as, which is great, great to see. I think from the governance side and the investment side, I think it depends a little on your business type. Uh, you know, banking and pharmaceuticals are highly regulated and they need to be a lot more focused from a right from the get-go, there's no excuses for messing up, whereas a lot of other companies will build that governance function over time. Um, so it gives them a little bit more time to work out what their investment approach is and how they partner with other organizations and, and with tools. So it really depends on your organization for me. Yeah, the sector really drives kind of the stakes, if you will. Money, healthcare, these are high-stakes categories for sure. I mean, in your role way, just kind of looking deeper at it, how much do you, as a CDO, how much do you deal or manage technology? What's your relationship with a CIO? How does all that, I think a lot of organizations are trying to figure that out. So I'd love your perspective. Yeah. And look, I've, I've been trying to find it, figure that out myself my whole career. So um, <laughs> I think there's always that interesting tension between a, a, t- a chief data officer and a CIO. Um, it's getting better and easier as tooling becomes more SaaS based. I think. Traditional CIOs, they love to own their their data center. And as it becomes a little bit more ambiguous in terms of sitting in someone else's data center, they kind of don't want to or don't care about owning it as much. And I think that relationship is is evolving easier. From an overall governance privacy point of view, again, it depends on the type of CDO you are and where you sit in your organization because you may own privacy and risk on behalf of the data business, whereas quite often it could be a legal or a, or a CIO function that owns that. But the relationship is definitely evolving, and I think it's in the right direction as well. Tech, for me, is is the way I get to where I need to be, and I look at very much the data and data management is very much about hearts and minds and taking people on the right journey as opposed to the specific tool necessarily. So you really focus on, okay, how do we get the business value out of this content and less around, okay, the pipes and correct the technology part at this point. Yeah, it's an evolving space. And I think the personification of 
the value of data through the CDO role is one of the best developments in the last uh, few years to give it that business focus. And there's always been this gap between the tech side and the business side. And I think a business-oriented CDO is extremely effective. What about, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of think, all right, all I got to do is push a button. I remember when I was talking to a, a sales organization once, the head of sales said, you know, Scott, we can slice and dice our data any way we want to. All we got to do is push a button and some courageous sales ops guy at the end of the table stood up and he said, sir, I, I'm the button. So I'm sure you can relate to that story. You know, what What are some of the dangers of being reactive like that instead of proactive when it comes to companies believing there's only one solution to fix everything? Like all I have to do is push a button. Yeah, so I, I think, um, and, and as I think Wade, Wade mentioned, right, this this is a an, an evolving space, and actually, it's probably one of the the most rapidly evolving spaces. If you look at how data has has transformed just in the last few years, about how it's it's been elevated and how it's you know really moving the dial for for organisations, both from a you know an actual share price perspective as well as you know their their operational efficiency. And and because that you know is is evolving so quickly, I think when you couple that with the relatively immature surrounding management function, and I say relatively immature because you know I'm kind of considering against other engineering disciplines. So you know they've had thousands of of years, hundreds of years to sort of to sort out the the, the nuance and the, and the, the the challenges that we face. But actually, you know, those that immaturity really brings a significant risk, and that reactivity is, I think, a, a reaction to, you know, we've been building for a number of years with technology, as Wade said, right? Focusing on the technology, let's build this, let's connect that, let's merge this organization, and so we start to get this huge set of data that is interconnected and interwoven, but because of the the speed at which we've done it, no one has that view on exactly what what it is. And, and so that then creates a challenge for how do we, you know, how do we manage that data? And, and it becomes very much a, I react to something after it's happened. So we have a, a breakdown between two systems or a report doesn't get generated and go to a regulator on time. And so we're, we're always in that reactive space. And I think for me, this is how do we shift out of that into being much more proactive and actually thinking about what we're going to do and how it might impact the rest of the organization before we make those changes. So it's, you know, really thinking about about, as Wade said, those business drivers, right? The business purpose, what am I looking to do? And then what's the impact of that thing that I'm about to do? And then once we understand that, then we can start to worry about the, the technology underlying of how I'm going to get it done. Wade, any thoughts on that? Yeah, there is a danger of, of companies reacting in the wrong way off the back of a perceived negative event, whether it be a data breach or just a report got messed up that went up to the CEO. Any, th- any number of these things people can react badly to. And the, the easy reaction is either one of two things. We'll bring in a tool or bring in a consultancy or probably both. Um, and that never works well. I think probably those 80, 85% of projects you mentioned earlier, Phil, they're probably all led by, by consultancies who are trying to give you a silver bullet that, that doesn't really exist because what underpins this is, well, like I said earlier, it's people and process are generally the, the barrier or where things break down because computers don't really make mistakes too often. 
Yeah, it's usually the data, right? So you got hardware, software, data. It's usually a data problem, a data quality problem, a data structuring problem, the master data, reference data, metadata is out of line, and that's why that report that was built off of a hierarchy or taxonomy is out of whack. Software tends to do what it needs to do, as you suggest. You know, let's jump over to that, too, this idea of data quality. Where do you start? How do you stop the garbage in? A lot of people want to understand, you know, garbage in, garbage out, rubbish in, rubbish out. It all has a direct effect. And that old cliche is still true. But are we really breaking through and having an organization understand that direct connection between what they put in and what they get out? And I think, you know, as as you mentioned, you know, the garbage in, garbage out is kind of that that old analogy that 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 we've all kind of heard and 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 know. But I think, you know, it really comes to life when you're thinking about certainly, you know, in an organisation where you have vast quantities of this data and all of this data is no longer sitting in in a silo on its own. It's interacting with lots and lots of other data, and so you very quickly can can get into this kind of quite messy situation. So, you know, using an another analogy I, I like to think of it as kind of as, as a lake right and you have many streams that, that fill this lake and the, and the quality of the water in the lake is is really bound by the, the quality of the water that is fed from those streams and so when we're thinking about data quality there's there's really two elements that we need to focus on so one is the you know the, the garbage in right so how do we prevent that 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 garbage from coming in so how do we understand and, and stop those streams from polluting that lake? And, and really, for me, that is the you know the positive control approach that we need to be putting in place. It's it's putting validation and checks in place to make sure that you know, for example, manual data that is entered is actually validated against a you know a set of values that it should contain. So if I've got a postcode, it should be validated against you know a, a known pattern for postcodes, whether in the U.S. or the U.K. You know. We need to be thinking about well, is this field you know mandatory? Do I do I have to populate this if I'm buying something from Amazon? I would suggest the answer is yes. You need to have a postcode, and so those are the positive controls which we can put in place, and that's really very important to stop that lake filling and becoming a swamp, right? Which we all you know everyone sort of heard about the the data swamps and you know even data puddles as we were discussing earlier. But I think then you've got the you know the secondary, and this is for me the more reactive piece is understanding that. If you've already had those controls not in place for a number of years, then you're likely to have bad data in the organization because of those process breakdowns, as Wade talked about, or, you know, the people that may have entered data incorrectly or, you know, some ETL code that wasn't structured in in the way that it should have. And so you've you've kind of created, you know, some, some bad data. But you don't want to start remediating that data and fixing, you know, unpolluting that lake before you've actually put those controls in place because otherwise the lake keeps filling with more data you remediate you fill you kind of remediate etc cetera, etc cetera. so you end up in this very expensive cost cycle and so it's you know how do we make those two things work together and and, and really you know address this problem once and, and and for all so that we're not thinking about kind of you know data quality in another five years because we're never going to have less data the problem is only going to grow if we don't really get a handle on it soon we are never going to have less data that's a great quote that's for sure <laughs> but wait, obviously you're responsible to a great degree for the data, data quality in your organization. What are some of the things you do and how do you, how do you help that, making sure that garbage doesn't get in? Yeah, I'm going to throw a question back actually at Phil in a second, if you'll indulge me for it as well. But I think sure. one of the fascinating areas that I'm going through at the moment 
is we're rolling out an MDM tool. And uh, traditional master data management has been a bit of a nightmare in our business and very, very manual, as I'm sure a lot of listeners will, will, will know as well uh, from their own businesses. But as we started evaluating tools, one thing that came up a lot was about using machine learning to clean up data and, and how you know different AI algorithms can can either fill in gaps in your in your data or actually do validations for and also do matching and merging uh, types uh, type roles, which normally would be very much a rules based approach. So my question to back to I guess to both of you, but for Phil, based on what you just said, is are you seeing that that trend, and are you seeing where anywhere where models can go bad that is messing up the data streams longer term. So one builds onto it, if you know what I mean. So one error happens, then that gets built on, just almost like a, an AI algorithm going wrong over time and becoming stale. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's a great question. And and this is, for me, one of the, and actually not, I think not only for me, I think what we've seen with the regulators actually is is they you know, they have that same question, right? Can we trust the AIs to, to go off and and to give us the you know the the right information, whether it's you know filling in the blanks of things which haven't been um, you know added to, or whether or not there's the, the, there's you know some data that we want to derive from several you know other data sets, and, and really this comes down to again that fundamental piece of the puzzle, which is the data, right? It's it's the if you put garbage into an AI, it will give you garbage out there. You know the AIs really. Are bound because they don't have the you know the human ability to apply context to a thing. If you haven't supplied it, you know the the right inputs, then it's not able to sort of to, to go off piste and say, well, actually, you know, this piece of data. If I combine it with this piece of data, and actually this piece of data over there, then I get something which is useful. And so, a hundred percent on on the AIs. You know, explainability is now a, a big thing for the regulators. You know, if you're using AIs, you know, which generate models, which they Therefore, produce you know outcomes. They expect you to be able to explain the the why and at, at, at a point in time. And I think that's really where we're seeing you know that we want to go fast. We want to use AIs much more, but you know data in context, data surrounded by the you know the other data sets that they interact with the you know the policies and the procedures as well. It's it really isn't a a simple you know. It's it's an ecosystem of, of of data and connectivity, and I think that's that's why you know you you potentially have a, a challenge to try and just say you know what I want an AI to go and solve all these problems with me. They're very good at doing specific things, but they're not great at kind of you know combined data sets and generality at this point. As I'm fond of saying, you put garbage into AI, you get AS artificial <laughs> stupidity. So you got to watch out for that. Oh, wait, I kind of come from the MDM space. So if you don't mind just kind of diving deeper into what you're doing there, I'm always interested in how people start that journey. Are there particular domains you focused on? How did you explain this notion to the business side, which always needs to, you know, have a stakeholder involvement? Yes, yeah, so we're about 12 months into the journey now. And we uh, went through a, quite a long tool selection and did a bit of a, a bake-off to see who would who would come out on top? We're focusing on the the product domain at the moment, which is obviously one of the big juicy ones, and especially in my division, which is very much a CPG type organization. Product is key. Previously, we we're a, a very big SAP estate, uh, which is fine, um, but not everything starts or ends within that ERP platform, right? So, 
how, where, how do you set up a an MDM platform outside of ERP to do things working, whether it be working with the sales forces or whatever. And that was the journey we went on. And we didn't want to have a, a one trick pony that was going to be having us stuck with our ERP platform, which is where the traditional guys all came from. We wanted to think about something a bit different. We looked at a bit more modern type SaaS platforms. We looked at the models of how they fund as well, uh, whether a description or not. And then went into the technicalities of how are they going to help us with our data syndication to our customers and retailers, and really how easy was the tool to use? You know, could we set up a team in India to support that easily, or would it, would it require a large onshore presence? So, I think lots of stuff went into the into the case around it. We're very early in the in the stage. We've got our first deployment actually in a couple of weeks, which is great to hear. But yeah, this is the first domain we've got customer coming hot off the heels of it uh, and then some of the financial ones as well yeah customer and product the two biggies for sure i mean you don't do those right you don't have customer data that's correct and you don't have product data that's correct what are you doing so you've got to focus on those did you find you needed to really establish kind of the conceptual value of this to any of the business side you know we're trying to set a standard for the organization we need a common language i'm just reaching for you know a lot of the ways people tend to describe it but was there what was your approach yeah you know the value case was was considerable actually we you know obviously had a lot of uh, support from some of our consulting partners in setting up the value case initially before they they left but there was a quite a big upside off the back of it just because it was so poor today you know we weren't we're not able to do for example um, global customer reports because you know in in 90 odd countries they've got their own uh, own hierarchies managed in, in Excel or in partly within ERP but when you try and roll it up and everything falls over uh, and the same for product is how do you do you know whether you're looking at competition, uh, brand management and things like that, it becomes very, very hard when you don't have one one source of truth. So, you know, back to the, the data quality piece, it, it's just, it's critical you get that or, or, or things will just fall over. And as we're setting up for a separation of our company spinning off to form a new business in 12 months, you know, when you're a division, that sort of stuff gets forgiven and you can restate numbers. But when you're your own company, you know, the market loses confidence and you've got to get it right first time. So I think this was a, a bit of a wake-up call for, for our leadership team to say, if you don't do this, you know, we're going to have some troubles. So they kind of all got behind it pretty quickly. Master data is the most important data any organization has. I say that all the time. People don't really realize it's behind the scenes, but it really drives so much reporting, integration, interoperability. It's what all the rest of the data is about, is the way I think of it. But great. No, good luck with that. I'm always interested in how these things go. We were talking about automation, AI a little while ago. Let's go back into that. When it comes up, that conversation, it's important to ask, what is the realism of pure automation coupled with the risk of taking people out of the loop? What's the balance there? I think you know we, we get a lot of, of customers, you know, and we were talking about it earlier, you know, asking for that, that silver bullet. Can I just plug your system in and will it just give me everything about my, my organization? Will it be able to, to unwind 40 years of merger and acquisition and tech stack and, you know, different quality of developers and, you know, all of the, the, the myriad, you know, manual processes, automated processes in the organization. And so I think for us, you know, what, what we're always sort of telling clients is that, you know, automation really comes after understanding. It's, it's like, you know, when Henry Ford was, was building the first car production line, 
it wasn't the first time that he'd built a car. He'd built many, many, many cars. And so he knew how to build a car in the most optimal way. And that's how you, you need to think about automation. It's I need to understand what I want to automate and the why I want to automate it. And so, you know, you you start to get into this, I need to understand, and, you know, I guess linking it to the master data, right? You know, you, you really need to understand the data that drives the organization because that master data, as you said, is connected to all the other data. And so, you know, for us, this automation really relies on this understanding. And, and as part of that understanding, you know, we certainly think that a, you know, a lineage first approach, so really understanding how data is connected gives you the ability to say, okay, well, that data chain, that data supply chain is something that I can automate because, you know, I'm able to, to build the technology that's going to do that. And there's a real business value to doing that. Um, if there's no business value to doing it, then 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 why are we doing it? Sometimes the you know we think automation is is faster, but if we have to automate and then validate and everything that we're validating is done manually, well, what did the automation do? It it really just gave you things to to then check, and so we sort of think about this as let's focus on the you know the SME adding the scoping to the automation. So they say actually this bit is really important to the organization. This set of data, you know, it's product data so we needed to protect this with our you know with our lives and so therefore we focus on that we don't focus on some of the you know the other elements which we you know might want to automate from a technology perspective because it's cool and 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 kind of it, it's great but actually you know in some of the organizations that we're dealing with you know they have hundreds of millions of database tables you know automating that into into one big mess of data just gives you a bigger mess to, to try and kind of crawl through to, to try and validate. So it's very much, a, you know, a balance between the automation piece has to be accelerated and, and you know, scoped by the by the SME. So human in the loop or people in the loop is, is really critical to that. I often think of, you know, when people talk about automation and AI, the image of Mickey Mouse and the Sorcerer's Apprentice just getting completely out of control with the room and the buckets and the water and all the rest of it. Some people got to watch out for that as a metaphor only. Um, so talked a little bit about, I know the data ecosystems are important to the both of you. And when it comes to the sustainability of the data ecosystem, how do we build this so organizations don't have huge costs and, and they can build the proper processes? Yeah. So for me, I, I think proper architecture is a pretty good place to start. Um, a lot of companies focus on the technical architecture and not so much about the the enterprise architecture and, and the data architecture. And I know this because I'm going through this, trying to highlight the difference between a data architect and an EA. And from a logical point of view is why things need to link together. And I think if you can link your data sets together throughout the organization between you know, your finance and your supply chain and your planning and your sales and your marketing, et cetera, and MDM, you know, as, as we said earlier, is one of those those red threads that goes through all of those things as well, you do find those synergies that that you will have found silos in the past. And if you can find those synergies, you do create a massive opportunity. You really, really do. Um, and if you can do that, whether it be through a data lake or not, or multiple lakes is fine, um, or lake houses, as I had a discussion with someone the other day about, you, you can create the right uh, the right synergies to, to create the benefits and yeah and hopefully end up with a much cheaper platform to run overall. I know data lake house is a real thing, but I hear about it. I <laughs> always imagine business people think that's where their data goes on vacation. 
so we could watch the terminology we use here. I cringe, but that works. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, last question here as we kind of wrap up. What, just some top tips, what advice would you give to folks trying to set up a CDO role? Yes, uh, I guess this one's for me. Is um, I would start with good people. And when I joined GSK nearly two years ago, I was a team of one. And now I'm over 200. And it's that one person can't build a strategy. You need other, other experts around you. So start with the bare bones approach. And I looked at the key functions that I would need and worked out across, you know, partnering with the CIO and with the business functions on what, they, what they're looking for in a CDO. And I was lucky because I interviewed with pretty much all of them on the way in. And, you know, did I need data science? Do I need a governance function? Do I need a BI team? Or is that already there? And what, what am I being given? What am I starting from scratch? And if you can work out what those bare bones are and recruit the leaders that you need, and I always say the best you can afford for those roles and get on with that, you'll be set up pretty well. From, from then, you can start thinking about your data strategy and 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 what those bare bones then end up looking like. Phil, any any parting thoughts on that topic as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think you know, I agree with with Wade on on you know what, what he's saying. I think you know, for us, it's you know, it's it's think big. It's it's have the vision of of you know where do you want to end up. You know, it's not about the today. It's you know, as Wade said at the at, at the start, this is a this is a three year, this is a five year, this is a, this is a long kind of term endeavor which you're about to start on. Right, we're we're changing the hearts and minds of the organization. So think big, but start small. Start with things which you can provide real tangible results quickly. You know, that that start fast because we, we don't want to, to invest a, a lot of money in whether it's, you know, process or tooling or, you know, strategy. If it's just going to get shut down by by senior by senior management because they're not seeing the, the expected ROI, so you know, really focus on giving them some value quickly. Once you've given that value, then you've got the buy, and then you've got that authorization to to proceed, and and you know then it's then it's scale. It's 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 replicate that great work that you've doing. You know, using those those great people, as Wade said, to to scale it across the organization. So ultimately. You end up with a, you know, democratization of data where everyone believes that it's their responsibility to be thinking about data. You know, this by default and by design, that it's not the the afterthought, it's the forethought. And I think that is, you know, for, for me, the key. It's, it's, you know, follow those simple steps and you'll uh, you'll be successful. That's a great thought to, to end on here too. It's not the afterthought, it's the forethought for sure. That's great advice. So thank you both for all your insight today. Thanks Wade and Phil for joining us. Uh, great conversation. And also if you, our listeners, want uh, more information on what we discussed today, please head over to the solidatus.com website. There you'll find plenty of information on some of these topics. And so for the folks at EM360, until next time, this is Scott Taylor, the Data Whisperer, and thanks for listening.